there. Welcome to the Snakebird Podcast. My name's Josh. And I'm Steve. Together we invite you to join us as we explore the mysteries of Scripture, the realm of God, and freedom through Christ. So spread out your wings. And slither in place. Because this is Snakebird. Welcome listeners to another episode of the Snakebird Podcast. We're rolling along addressing topics we pray are connecting with you and broadening your faith in Jesus as we aspire to walk in wisdom and gentleness just like a snake bird. Today we're examining probably the most frequently used weapon in the arsenal of the devil, lies. Yeah, Josh and I have come up with 10 lies, and this is not an exhaustive list. It, um, you know, everything that comes out of Satan's mouth is a lie, so it branches everywhere. But these are 10 lies that were laid on our heart that Satan uses to trip up Christians and keep unbelievers in the dark. Yeah, and Satan, we know through Scripture, is the father of lies. So what we want to do is shine some truth in the darkness and really talk about what the Bible says in regards to these things. So we're going we're gonna to jump right in and uh, let's go to lie number one. All right. Lie number one is God isn't trustworthy. Now, this really takes us down to ground zero, to the Garden of Eden, in fact. Genesis 3, 5, where Satan is tempting Eve to take a bite of the fruit, forbidden fruit. And um, Eve's like, we can't do that. God said um, that we'll die. And Satan answers her. He says, you surely will not die, for God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. If Satan can get you to second-guess God, then he's pushed the first domino that will basically start your downward spiral. It often starts with a half-truth, and that's exactly what he did there. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That part was actually true. She did know evil in a brand new way and good, but it was that first part, you will not surely die. That was the lie. And so getting uh, you to second-guess God that he is not trustworthy, that is a big lie that Satan uses. Yeah, it's it's such a thing where he includes that tiny bit of truth with the whole lie that, that that's that deception weapon that he uses. I mean, he even tried it on Jesus. Yeah. When, when uh, Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted, we see that in one of his temptations, Satan even starts quoting scripture to God, which is, I mean, absolutely stupid <laughs> because Jesus, by all means, comes back and refutes him uh, ever so well. But Satan, uh, oftentimes in our lives, he gives that little nugget of truth that you're, that tries to get that foot in the door. It's, it's, it's basically where he wants a foothold. And the moment that he feels like he has that, then he starts to whittle away. Yeah. And one way he'll, he'll get us to second guess God is he'll take something that God's put a perimeter around, kind of like the forbidden fruit, and then repackages it outside those perimeters. Um, it's not good for man to be alone. God offers the union of man and wife. Satan repackages this beautifully balanced relationship by saying, try multiple partners. Awaken your pleasures with experimenting in new ways. That's one of Satan's biggest lies is getting us to second guess God's perimeters also. It's kind of wild because he is the master counterfeiter. Almost everything that God has a representation of, Satan has a fake version of. That's so true. And sometimes it looks so real and it feels so real that, that we tend to want to follow that or go after that. And that's not righteous. Yeah. 
So Christian, be on your toes. Can I just say that when it comes to the Garden of Eden, the media is representing a lie as well. Because oh, yeah. they always say that the fruit is an apple. <laughs> yeah. And it could have been a boysenberry. I'm just, it been. okay. That's could a, have been a schnozberry. Yes. Who knows? <laughs> okay, Willy Wonka. Uh, this is not a hill that I'm willing to die on, but I just wanted to point that out. But no, in the garden, even from that first moment of Satan deceiving Eve, it's just that shows how big a tool lying is in his camp. Yeah. And I definitely went back many thousands of years there, but um, it's very relevant today. It too. is all the way throughout history, 6,000 yeah. years. Um, you know, the one thing that we can say about God being trustworthy, especially um, in more of a practical aspect of our lives, is that if you're struggling, wondering if God is coming through on your behalf, just remember that there's verses like Philippians 1 6 that says, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Yeah. He's with you. And then um, 2 Corinthians one twenty says, For all the promises of God are in him, are yes, and in him, amen. He's, he is worthy to be trusted. I was thinking of a teaching that I heard that says, We have three witnesses that show that God is who he is. The first one is his word. And we're going to be doing a podcast on, is the Bible, can it be trusted? Mm -hmm. Is it the infallible word of God? And then we also know that creation, it sings of God. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing is our conscience. And we're going to refer to that as well. So we have these witnesses that God can be trusted and that he is um, our maker, our creator, our savior, everything like that. Yeah, absolutely. It's an old trick, but we can um, we can defend against it. Yes. Okay, that's line number one. Let's move right along to line number two. And this is a, a powerful one, I believe, because it's deceiving a lot of people and it has deceived a lot of people. And that is that hell isn't real. Mm. That is that hell isn't real. And it's kind of wild to think that... Um, if you were to go out and pull a bunch of different people, I believe that people choose to believe a lot more in heaven than they do in hell. And it's wild when you think about how Jesus addressed these two different topics. Because when he spoke about heaven, he spoke much more about hell than he ever did about heaven. And I believe that was to warn people and to let them know the seriousness of what's to come. And yet you find that a lot of people's response to hell is first and foremost, disbelief. Yeah. They don't think it's real. But then you have others who maybe in a spirit of just trying to cope with the thought of it, um, they start to change what God says about it by saying, it's going to be a huge party. Yeah. I'm just going to hang out with my friends. I know, <laughs> I know how bad they are. So they're definitely going to hell and I'm going to hell. So we're just going to party it up. We're going to, we're going to get together and it's just going to be a big brouhaha. Yeah. They make a joke of it. Yeah. And then there's other people who come with worldly logic and they try to say, well, you say that God is love and we do because that's what the Bible says. But then they, they follow that up with, well, no God who loves people would actually send them to hell. Yeah. And, you know, I don't believe that God does send people to hell. I really don't. It, it's a choice. People choose. And that might be hard for someone to, uh, that's a hard pill to swallow for some. But it, 
it can be broken down. It, it's kind of like why would a loving God allow evil in the world? It's free will. It's free will that reveals true love. Because if we if we just made robots, we and they did whatever we wanted. There's no emotion in that. There's no real anything in that. It's real. It's a free will that reveals true love. Yeah. Uh, this is a statement that I found while we were preparing from this. It's from Pastor John Corson. And it's it's kind of got, I would say, even a trigger warning attached to it because it is so powerful or it's so, I guess, just poignant. He said, hell is not a contradiction of God's love but rather a confirmation of it. Hmm. Hell is not a contradiction of God's love, but rather a confirmation of it. And he goes on to explain, I'm not going to say that and not, not give the context of it. He goes on to say that he, God, is not going to force man to do his will. Yeah. And so if there's a person, a man or a woman, who every day has a chance to encounter God and rejects him and says, no, I don't need you. I'm going to live my life my way. And uh, throughout their time on this planet, they constantly are offered that opportunity to get to know God. But every time along the way, they say, no, I'm good. I'm doing things my way. Eventually, they have rejected him. And he's not going to force himself on them, on them. And so inevitably, it will lead them to hell. Yeah. And... and it- Someone might say, oh, I would never choose to go to hell. But if you reject the only way to heaven, that's precisely what you're doing. The The sad thing is hell is real. Heaven is real. But I think we should talk about the realities of hell. Because yeah. we realize that it wasn't created for people. It was created for fallen angels. Yeah. But we also realize that hell is described as an eternal separation from God. Yeah. And it means we've died in our sins. And I've even heard this description that when you go to hell, you're going to have that remorse, but you're also going to lean into everything that you've ever felt before. And so in a sense, you're going to be living in this anger, this, this rejection that you had of God. And it's just going to, it's going to burn. Yeah. Whether you're a believer or not, everybody on this planet is benefiting from the presence of God here. And we I don't think we can even fathom what it would be like um, devoid of that. And that's what hell is. Everything good, everything enjoyable, pleasurable. I mean, it, it's, it's all gone. Peace. Yeah. Love. Hope. hope. Yeah, hope. Yeah. Hope. Hell is a place that exists with no hope. Yeah. No peace, no love. Isaiah 66 talks about how the worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. And then even in Luke 16, if you're looking for some biblical references, there's the story about Lazarus and the rich man. And the rich man, like we said, he lives his own way and Lazarus is a poor man. And when they die, they both go to a place called Hades, which is the Old Testament version of Sheol. And we um, are taught that it has two different compartments. One, where people are basically in kind of a paradise-like waiting room called Abraham's bosom. And there's another place that's called the place of torments. And that's where the rich man goes. And we see through the interaction that Jesus talks about is that he says, I am in torment. Can I just have one touch of water to my tongue? 
anything that would soothe this or relieve this. And and Abraham, looking over, says, I'm sorry, I can't cross this chasm. Because what we need to realize is that no one right now is in hell. Hell hasn't come about just yet. We have a depiction of hell that Jesus gave because he was talking about it in Mark. And the word that he used is Gehenna. And anybody that was living in or around Jerusalem would have immediately had that uh, image brought to their mind because sometime before Jesus's day, there was an evil king who to the east of Jerusalem set up these uh, idols in a valley where they would sacrifice babies to the god Molech. And then later on in the days of Jesus, Gehenna became a garbage dump where they were burning refuse day and night, just a trash pit. And even then in the year 70 AD, uh, when Titus came and overthrew Jerusalem, there were 600,000 bodies of Jews that were burned in that pit. And so saying Gehenna to a person who had any type of biblical context brought up imagery of burning flesh, yeah. of, of just suffering and torment and, and death. So that's a that's a terrible image. It is, and I I think it's only just a smidge yeah. of the reality of what it is. Yeah, and I I think it's good to note too that while we've pointed out this, it is a choice. Um, it's also important to know that everyone has this choice. Mm-hmm. I think of the uh, saying I've heard in the past: uh, "What about the pygmies in Africa?" Um, First off, I've heard I don't think they live in Africa, but <laughs> secondly, um, indigenous the, people. Yeah, the idea behind that statement would be that what about people that haven't heard this um, "only way to God" story before? Our God is a just God, and He, I believe, every single soul that has ever lived, ever will live, has a choice. They will have a choice sometime in their life to choose this. And so I just want to point that out. Can I, you know, throw every example at you of how that would happen? No, but I know our God is just. And uh, it is a choice. Yeah. Um, this is right off the cuff. I even heard of a tribe that um, missionaries found where they were coming in to spread the gospel. And they asked, um, what are some of your religious practices that you guys have right now? And they said, we saw that the sun comes up every day. And so what we did was we chose to praise the God who made the sun come up every day. Oh, wow. And the missionaries were like, our work is already almost all the way done because we just want to introduce him to you completely. Oh, wow. And so I, I do yeah. believe that God reveals himself in ways. And, and that, that's, that's just like Romans. Uh, Paul says in Romans, creation yes. itself screams it had a creator. They recognized it and they praised him. Exactly. Yeah. What, an, what a fascinating thing. And while we're talking about hell, it gets really dark because literally hell is outer darkness or burning. But we want to make sure that you understand God never intended for anyone to be in hell. And while Stephen so eloquently alliterated that, it is a choice. And that's why Jesus came is we all sinned. And because of the sin disease, we all deserved sin. But Jesus in 1 Corinthians I'm sorry, Jesus in 2 Corinthians says that he became sin and uh, he knew no sin so that we might become his righteousness. He paid that sin debt so we don't have to go to hell. 
he made that way from one side to the other so we can make a choice to follow him and be with him forever in heaven. And so if you're listening and you haven't made that choice yet, we encourage you to. Uh, You can even go to our website. There is a spot that says, Know God. Go there and click on that. And then if you're listening and you already have that hope of salvation in your life, be like Jesus, lovingly warn people, and then do what God called us to be, and that is ambassadors of telling people about God's kingdom, testifying, living your life out loud. Yeah, yeah, well said. That's lie number two. Let's go to lie number three. Lie number three is you only live once. Hashtag YOLO. There it is. You have likely heard of this one. I've heard many people use this. And um, I heard a Sidney Harris once write, if the devil could be persuaded to write a Bible, he would title it, you only live once. And that's a statement right there. I can't tell you how many people I've heard justify their actions with this philosophy. Uh, It goes back all the way to, you know, the old saying, carpe diem, seize the day, live for the moment. You only live once, so you better experience everything you can before you take your dirt nap. I mean, it's been around for a long time, but the truth is we don't only live once. When we close our eyes in this life, we will be opening our eyes in another And this is true for everybody, whether a believer or not. It is true. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So, I totally understand this living each day as if it's our last, because life is short. It is short. But to twist that into an excuse to live for the temporal, for temporal pleasures, that would be a major, major mistake. Yeah, this is one of Satan's biggest strategies because you think about the old timey statement, go and sow your oats. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to settle down too early if you haven't lived. And there's so many things that, that are emphasized in that of like, well, they're young and they're going to make stupid mistakes. And, and we know that young people do make stupid mistakes, but that mentality that you have all the time in the world or that you're going to be able to do these things and still somehow make it out where you, you make a deal with God. Um, I've heard of people that say, I'll sleep when I'm dead (laughs) or people that say, um, I've got it worked out to where when I'm done and I'm good and ready, then I'm going to come to the cross. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I had a young man not too long ago that worked for me that we kind of got into these conversations. And he says, you know, when I die, I'll I'll settle it with the old man then. And he was referring to God. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, at least you've made your choice. And he's like, well, no, I'm not saying that. I didn't make a choice. I'm just saying we'll settle it then. I said, that's not how it works. I said, you've made your choice if that's the road you're taking. And it's so true. There's a lot of people that just, and and I get the logic. If there's nothing after this, Mm -hmm. live for the day. But there is. Yeah. I mean, that's the theology that Satan's pumping out there is that once you die, you're dead. It's just blackness. Get it in. Yeah. And, And the sad thing is that if you really study what the Bible teaches and you believe it, 
you realize that death is not the end of the road, but it's a bend in the road and that everybody because of their soul is it's eternal. And it goes back to the last lie of you have a choice on whether you're going to spend eternity with God in heaven through receiving a free gift or whether you're going to do things your way and reject God altogether. And I would say for somebody that's listening, if if you're thinking, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm going to live, like Josh said, I'm young, I'm going to experience this now and I'll get right with God when I'm a little bit older. Uh, number one, we're not promised tomorrow. Um, you don't know if you're going to be alive tomorrow. And number two, there's a cause and effect in this life to everything we do. Um, you get started late, there's repercussions to that. I'm not trying to say that you have to claw your way out of the hole to get back to God because you come as you are and He takes you where you are. But there is a cause and effect. And you'll be sorry when you're looking back that you didn't do it sooner. That's something I hear from a lot of pastors, a lot of people that have come to the Lord later in life. They say, I wish I'd done it sooner. I wasted it. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking, I was reading a story today about a restaurant manager who was using a chlorine cleaner in their bathroom and they didn't realize that another type of detergent or uh, chemical had been placed down and it virtually created this this cyanide gas. Mm. And while he was trying to clear it out of the restaurant with a squeegee, he got so much in his lungs that at like the young age of, I think, 26, yeah. he he couldn't overcome that and he passed. Yeah. I mean... You think about the people that, you know, unfortunately get caught in car accidents or, or shootings that are just randomly happening more and more increasingly these days. They don't wake up going, today is the, the last day that I'm going to ever take a breath on this earth. Mm-hmm. Everybody thinks that we're eternal, especially young people. They think, I'm immortal. I can do anything I want. And yeah. yet, uh, increasingly, we find that that's not the truth. And so that's why even... To go on in the same book of the Bible, 2 Corinthians, just in the next chapter, in chapter 6, Paul says, today is the day of salvation. Because I've also heard of people, again, who reject God so much that eventually their heart becomes hard. Yeah, that's true. That's that's a warning in itself right there. Because you can, you can allow yourself to become so hard that you you reject it and it gets easier and easier to reject it. Mm -hmm. So that's a risk. So that's number three. You only live once. Tis not true. Lie number four. And this one really cuts deep with a lot of people who have had um, family issues or uh, rejection issues. And that is God doesn't love you. There's nothing more that Satan wants people to believe than an all loving God wouldn't love them. And, and, the easiest way to combat this usually shows up in the end zone of a professional football game, or at least it did in every 1980s football game. And that's John 3.16. For God so loved the whole world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God loves you. He has a plan for you. I, I just hope that if there's anyone listening who's ever doubted that, that you can hear some of the words from Scripture and let it wash over you. Even David wrote in Psalm 139 that God knew you before you were even conceived. It says that you covered me in my mother's womb. 
I will praise you, God, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance, yet being unformed. And in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. God knew who you were going to be before you were even born. And he has a plan for you. And if you're out there thinking, I'm insignificant, don't think that. If you're breathing and you're alive, then God has a plan for you. And he doesn't want you to go to hell. And he doesn't want you to, you know, hashtag YOLO every second of your life. Mm-hmm. He wants you to walk with him. You know, I think it's in Acts 17 that um, also mentions that he knew the very place that you we were going to be born, the time, the era. He knows everybody individually. He knows us all. And um, yeah, I love I love that scripture. Um, it's so true because it, it, God does not overlook us. If he knows the hairs on our head, he knows each each one. And God even knows when you're sad. Yeah. This is a crazy scripture, but it says in Psalm 56, 8, it says that God keeps all of our tears in a bottle. And I I know that that's hard to comprehend, but I believe that out there, he knows every time we've ever cried. He knows what breaks our heart. And in, in that scripture, it says that he's recorded each of our tears in his book. And um, some of us, maybe he has to keep less count of of the hairs on our head <laughs> than others and maybe some of us he has to keep more of account of the tears that we cried but he knows us and he loves us and he has a plan for us i think about even um some of uh people's out there's favorite scripture verse which is jeremiah 29:11 which comes in the middle of the most I would, I would say hardship circumstances for the children of Israel because they've just been displaced from their home. They are being led for 70 years of being um, in somebody else's homeland and kind of like an incubator. And they're very sad. And yet Jeremiah, through the leading of God, pens this letter to where he tells them, For I know the thoughts, that's God, that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And so no matter what your circumstances are, even right now, God loves you, he has a plan for you, and there'd be nothing more that he wants you to believe other than Satan's lie of saying, God doesn't love you, he doesn't care, and he rejects you. Yeah, so true. So lie number five there are many roads to God. There are many roads to God. I'm sure that you've heard this logic before. Um, all of the people groups on earth uh, recognizing the same God and just worshiping that same God in different ways, um, which perhaps in another podcast we'll dive into why that can't work. But there are many roads to God. If Satan can get us on a false road to God, it will accomplish two things for him. Number one, we'll have a sense of security because we believe we're on the right track. And number two, the more we invest in that road, the harder it will be to leave. Now, I believe that Satan employed this this little trick, this strategy, immediately out of the fall of the Garden of Eden. One of the first seeds he planted was Cain, who killed his brother Abel. He was banished and then built a city away from the presence of the Lord. 
And then what do you know? The next chapter we see that generations upon generations built on what he did over there corrupted the entire world. And then the flood came and it started again with Nimrod. It is, it's human nature. And the best lies are the ones that have facts alongside misdirection. I believe that every single religion that we have seen in the past and today are branching variants of the original. Facts alongside misdirection equals corruption of the world. So that's a big one that Satan uses. So to the one who would say, how could you claim that your religion is the right one out of so many cultures? I would say we didn't used to be so many cultures. And there's always only ever been one way. And the great thing is, though, the great thing is that throughout all of these eras of time, God has always been there for those who really wanted to know him. He's always been there with an extended hand. Um, Proverbs 14, 12 says, There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Don't listen to Satan's lies and be on a false road to God. And it's so tragic because you see people out there who have sincere faith, but sincerity in the wrong direction is still wrong. Yeah. And it's so sad because you, you want to reason with them and you want to correct them. And, and there is opportunities for that. That's what apologetics is all about. Um, I think of even people who claim to a version of Christian faith, but have at times somehow morphed it or changed the story or even come up with their own set of, yeah. of, of scripture. And that is tragic as well, because again, very sincere people at times, and yet in the wrong direction. And we come back to scripture where Jesus even said in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. You know, when he was in the Garden of Eden and he was facing the cross, it was the crucifixion before the crucifixion, he even prayed out, God, if there's any other way, let it let it be revealed. Mm-hmm. And it and if don't you think instead of this amazing rescue mission where God had to come in human form and live a perfect life and then die on the cross. If God was also like, well, there is this other religion that gets you right here as well, that he wouldn't have said something. Yeah, for sure. You know, and we're going to talk about another um, issue with that or with that thinking in our next lie. But this, this was the only way. And that's why Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. And he drank that cup there in the Garden of Eden, he took on the sin of all mankind. Yeah, and that's a really good point you bring up. Um, you know, as long as you're sincere in your faith, it doesn't matter what religion almost. I've heard that a lot. Well, what about somebody that's that's found true enlightenment? The problem with that is it's all based on emotion. There has to be more than emotion for confirmation. And we have a lot more than that that confirms our faith in, mm. in the, the way, the true way. But um, I I didn't know how to combat that uh, at the time when I had heard that. But later on in life, I had a really good friend, uh, one of my best friends, who he, I could tell he was going down a bad track in life. He was a Christian, but his faith was sliding. And he uh, one day told me, he's like, listen, man, I'm happier than I've ever been in my life. I have found it. 
And a month later, he was dead. He hung himself. And he was sincere when he told me that. He had full emotions of happiness, but he wasn't on the right path. Yeah. And so it's it's so important that we don't base it on emotion, but um, that that really that that drifts into another topic. But that, yeah, you know, it, it is a lie. There is one way to God. Um, I was many. thinking about that this week, and and there's even a pastor who I really admire who's like, I don't want happy. Happy is temporal. Happy is fake. Happy is is in the moment versus joy. And you think about joy is something that you can have even in the midst of hardship. And yet if it's founded in what God has for you, then it carries you through. And, and that's the balance of what's right. And, you know, if we start to emotionalize our whole religion, then it has no foundation. I think the way that you have joy in a hard time is because you know, you are on the right track. Mm. That's the the founding for that joy. Yeah. And you're looking ahead versus what's here because this is hard. But this is temporal. Life is short, like you said. And that works out um, for the Christian. It works out better because this is this is only going to go on for so long. And then what we're heading towards is home. Mm -hmm. But then for the non-believer, it doesn't work out that well because life is short and you need to to get into the fold before the door closes, before the ark closes, quote, you know, if we're talking about Genesis and relating that to the current events that um, are unfolding. Yeah, so true. So there is one way to God. That is number five. Lie number six. You're good only needs to outweigh your bad. Have you ever heard that one? I've heard that too many times. (laughs) Again, I know that we're talking about the 10 biggest lies of Satan. I think this might be number one. And I don't even know how it came about other than just um, maybe moral goodness. or I think it's just a widely accepted deception or myth. That somehow, and this is this is the myth, this is the deception, is that somehow if you have done more good in your life, if you've been a good person, then you have been a bad person, then somehow there is this cosmic scale out there that's weighing everything you've ever done, and as long as your good outweighs your bad, then you're good to go. Then you're heaven bound. Yeah, that's, that, that's so... Um... You can break that down, I think, pretty easily when you when you ask, um, who's saying what's good? You know, you, yeah. you've mentioned it in the past. Um, by what standard? By what standard are we judging this good from bad? Murder, <laughs> lying, yeah. theft. Yeah, yeah. You it know, might not have been good for you, but I stole it, and that's good for me. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a tragic thing, and this is how prevalent. I believe that this deception has become, or even um, to a degree, it's been so mocked that now it's getting satirized because it's the premise of a TV show that's been running for four or five seasons uh, called The Good Place. And my wife and I, we watched it for one episode and I was pretty floored about how they were trying to use this, this theology, quote unquote, this ideology of saying um, that this afterlife society, we'll call it heaven, is tracking everything you do. And as long as um, you are helping an old lady across the street, 
there's a percentage up. But then you stole that candy bar, so there's a percentage down. Or you told a white lie to somebody that they looked pretty, uh, so that's up. And then uh, you ran a red light, so that's down. Yeah, the, the baseline is all out of whack. Whereas God tells us that all have sinned and all have fallen short, and we've all not reached the glory of God. And then, of course, we already talked about this, how Jesus became sin for us so that we might have his righteousness. And I referred to the part in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus looked at, at God saying, hey, I'm going to go to the cross. Is there any other way? Do you think God could have just, again, been like, well, all people need to do is just be better than they are bad. Yeah. You don't have to die. <laughs> I mean, yeah. there's a V8 moment for you. <laughs> I, For sure, there's... I feel bad if there's actual Christians that believe that. I, I I would think that that's more of an unbeliever thing, but I I think there. You've pointed out this. Some Christians actually believe this too. I, I've heard this in Christian circles, and it just breaks my heart. Yeah. And that's why we want to shine light on it yeah. because it's not about you being good. No one is good. Mm-hmm. It's only Jesus that's good. And when we talk about like, let's say that we were to somehow work for it, it's impossible. And we'll, we'll talk about that in the next slide. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's a big one. That is a big one. So, um, that was number six. Number six. So, number seven is heaven is earned. Ephesians 2 8 through 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift from God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, this this lie in particular, it's one of the easiest ones, I believe, for a Christian to slip into. Um, Whether you're a mature Christian or a newborn, this lie can really sneak up on you, and if you're not careful, it can really um, it can trap you in a miserable state of mind for your entire life if you're not careful. Yeah, because I think the previous lie could be applied more towards maybe non-Christians versus Christians. Yeah. And this one really applies mostly to believers. Yeah, I mean, it, it really it really can because it, it sneaks up on you. And um, th- there may be some out there that actually think that you can earn your way to heaven. But I think the lie is a lot more subtle than that. If you were to ask any mature believer straight up, do you earn your way to heaven? I think they'd say no. I don't think that any, anybody that's real familiar with Scripture is going to, I think they can see in the Scripture that that's not a thing. It really starts from what I've seen with the pure things that naturally come out of you when you're first saved. Uh, you're saturated with the Word of God. You pray often with deep sincerity. Uh, You reach out to others with real God-centered love. All of these things become a part of your life. But after some time, these things can become unrighteous sacraments. In other words, um, good things done with a bad heart. This can lead to judging your brothers and sisters for not following the the checklist, your checklist. You can judge them for that, which is a, a violation of Romans 14 then that can lead to spreading gossip and dissension, which is in violation of James 4.11. Then that can lead to an angry heart against your brother or sister, which is in violation of Matthew 5.22. And before long, you're sitting there with this rule book 
in a group of people just like you who think you're the only ones going to heaven because you paid the price. And there I can't tell you how many circles I've seen that group of people. If you were to come out and ask them, did you pay the price? Are you going to heaven because you paid the price? They'd say no. But they're in a group that believes that by their actions, by how they treat their brothers and sisters. And it is something. So I would, you know, I would beg you, listener, please don't fall into this rut. If you're already in that rut, um, God's, he's only a prayer away. But this... This could never be the first fruits that you first fell in love with when you knew God. That can never be confused with the rule book. So if you find yourself abiding by a rule book, get back to those first fruits. Because this is a major lie that people sleep, slip into. Yeah, I think it goes into um, heart check territory, especially for those that have been walking with God for a number of years. Because things can become so, not necessarily monotonous, but so routine that when somebody isn't walking the way that you're expecting them to, you start looking at them with a lot of judgment in your heart. Yeah. And, um, you know, we even know from Titus that God says it is not by works of righteousness that we've done, but according to his mercy, like you said, Ephesians grace through faith, not nothing that we've done that we could boast, but only what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Yeah. This this is crazy because it goes to a whole church that Paul wrote a letter to named the Galatians or, you know, they were in Galatia. And he even says in chapter three, he's like, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you or who has cast this evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. The, the righteous rules checklist that you talked about. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be after starting your new lives in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Yeah, that says it right there because it's easy to slip into. Yeah, the Judaizers, they they hated Paul so much. They formed their own tour bus that every town he went to, they decided to, to crowdfund their own way to come behind him and to start preaching against him and try to undo all that he did to the point where they were coming in telling the Galatians after Paul had just given them this message about grace that it's... Jesus and it's salvation and and so it's like oh yeah you're saved but um we got to sharpen our knives because it's circumcision time yeah and when Paul heard that he lost it he said are you kidding me that's not what I said at all and he writes back and this is where it gets he gets pretty um he's he's very adamant and he's like listen if they got their knives out and they're insisting about circumcising themselves he said don't just cut to the quick he says, take it all. Yeah. He says, let's let's perform a mutilation because if they're going to go this far to put trips on you, then, then let them just remove it altogether. Yeah. And the thing about basing... Yeah. Thing about basing it on your rule book is if, if that's what you're going off of, when you start falling on your own rules, and you will, your whole system starts to crumble. Your whole system, it is it is nothing we could ever do to earn heaven. It's what Jesus did on that cross. And if we start to stray from that base, that essential 
um, foundation, then it's just going to crumble. It's going to crumble. Can I share something? Yeah. Um, you know, some of you who know me or maybe you've never even heard my story, I grew up as a pastor's kid. And I grew up in a very um, spiritual household, and it got increasingly more spiritual as I got older. And that was a good thing, except that also led to me being a Pharisee. And I had to serve in certain ways. And of course, I served um, on the weekends, and then I lived like I wanted to for myself on the weekdays. And then it became to a point where I really did get sincere about my faith. But at that time, I had become a full-time Pharisee, and it was like, I have to serve, I have to do this, I have to do that, I have to work for God, because He deserves it, and I need to do it. And I had a loving brother who pulled me aside, and he said, I want you to know something, because I see how frantic you are. He said, did you know that if you never played another guitar chord for God, that He'd still love you? Did you know that if you never read another word of Scripture— that he wouldn't love you any less? Did you know that if you never set foot in a church again, he would still love you? And I started to cry because I had felt the weight of my own forced devotion versus that first love devotion that was so fresh when I had become a new Christian. And and he, you know, we have to go into talking about how um the things that we do for God become part of a relationship thing. I'll use marriage as an example. Why do we do the things for our wife that we do? Is it because we don't want her to be upset with us? Why did you load the dishwasher? Or why did you do the laundry? And if it is where it's like, I don't want you to be upset with me, then that's not a healthy relationship at all. But if you say, I loaded the dishwasher, I vacuumed the house, I took care of the kids or whatever it might be because I love you, then that's a righteous relationship. And so what it got me to realize was that God's love is unconditional. And when we start to try to earn it, then we become in debt to God. And the truth is we could never pay that debt ever. The only thing that could pay that debt was Jesus Christ's precious blood. And the Old Testament says it very, very vividly when it says that our righteousness is like filthy rags. And if you don't know what that is... That's the PG version. Yeah, that's the very PG version. We, you know, we're going to just leave it there. If you want to know more, go ahead and look it up. Yeah. But we could never do it. Yeah, it's we couldn't. There's no way. The older I get, the more I see that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and even... Um, even Galatians later on, it says that the law was only there to show us that we fell short, that we would never measure up. Yeah. It was there to show us so that we could see now. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a big one. That's a huge lie. All right. So that's seven lies in the book. Let's hit number eight. Number eight is you'll never measure up. That's another lie that Satan wants us to believe, especially um, before we're saved or even after we're saved. And yet, I think we can point to so many examples in Scripture. Uh, I was just dwelling on this earlier today about people who shouldn't have measured up, and yet because of what God did in their lives, they did. The first example all throughout there is Rahab. 
<laughs> yeah. And her name is Rahab the, you know, which uh, I said Rahab the harlot. And Stephen says Rahab. She's the, a straight up prostitute. Yeah. <laughs> she owned a brothel in Jericho. And yet through her story, she housed the spies who came over spying out the land uh, across the Jordan. And then she helped hide them. And all of it was for the glory of God. It's where we get the scarlet rope because she puts that outside of the walls of Jericho saying, hey, when you come back, um, please spare my family. And there's a perfect example of the gospel where they said, everybody that you want saved, gather them into your house. And so by faith, anyone that wanted to live had to come to her house. And because of what God did in her life, she's one of four women mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. She became part of the lineage of Jesus. He came from her line. She married um, a guy who became the father of Boaz, who we know became the father of uh, Jesse, who became the father of David. And uh, amongst others of that lineage are Tamar, who kind of acted like a harlot because she wanted to get pregnant and she had Judah's baby. And then there's also Ruth, who was a Moabitess, who didn't have any place being in the lineage of Jesus, but she was. And then, of course, Bathsheba, yeah. an adulteress. Yeah. yeah. I mean, these are some, these are quite the characters to be in the lineage. Yeah, absolutely. Another character or another biblical example that we can point to of someone who wouldn't have measured up is Levi, also known as Matthew. And you say, well, he was an apostle. Why would not? Why wouldn't he measure up? Um, because he was a tax collector. Yeah. And if you talk about tax collectors these days, you say IRS. That's already a bad word to those of us here in America. But if you said tax collector to a Jewish person during Jesus' days, it meant a whole other thing. Because while they were going and they were collecting taxes for Rome, they would come in and they could have Roman soldiers with them. And not only could they collect only what Rome wanted or what Rome required, they could also skim off the top. And if you weren't willing to pay them, then they could have the Roman soldiers rough you up. Yeah, so this is like the mob. I mean, you you go like extortion. You're gonna you're gonna pay for our protection type uh, of stuff. Yeah, and we'll be back next week. Yeah, yeah. And so they were hated in their communities. They were virtually outcast. But they didn't care because they usually were rolling deep. Yeah. I mean, Zacchaeus was another example. And when Jesus came and, and saved him, he had such a radical conversion that he said, everybody I took more than from, I paid back four times above and beyond. Yeah. Indeed. I mean, these are people that straight up did not measure up for sure. Yes. Yeah. And then I believe the greatest New Testament example of somebody who didn't measure up the Apostle Paul. Oh, yeah. Because if you think about it, this is a guy who, like we talked about earlier, was very sincere about his faith, but he was sincerely misguided. He was on the wrong track. He was, and he hated Christians. He hated Jesus. He hated anything that had to do with it. And he had done such a good job in Jerusalem of 
rooting out Christians that he decided it was time to take the show on the road because now he was headed to Damascus to do the same exact thing. And that's when God confronted him on the road and said, why are you persecuting me? And then he had this amazing conversion experience. And the next thing you know, this man who was so radically against Christianity became so radically saved that he wrote nearly half of the New Testament. Yeah. Man, it's amazing, these people that are just the bottom of the bucket as the world sees them, but God, no, they don't measure up. God takes them, and he does these things with them that that puts them in the lineage of Jesus that, I mean, changes the world, like in Paul's case. I mean, look what that did. Yeah, because God fixes broken things. Yeah. And he can use... He can use people that you would never suspect he could ever use. Yeah, it's incredible. So don't believe that lie. I also believe that you're not enough or you'll never measure up lie comes with an additional component. One that even often deceives believers, and that is you're not complete unless you have a spouse. Have you ever heard that one? Yeah, I have. And I can attest because I was a person or I was a single person until I was 35. And I struggled immensely with that lie that is straight from the pit of hell because a lot of my friends were all married and they were even having kids and they had the complete package is what I could have said from the outside looking in. But that's not the truth. I want you to know that if you're single and you're waiting for the person that God has for you, don't rush. Don't force it. And don't feel incomplete. You are whole the way that God made you. Jerry Maguire had it all wrong. It's not you completely when you're married. It's you compliment me. (laughs) Because marriage, when it's what God has for you, it's beyond amazing. But marriage, when it's not what God has for you, it's miserable, right? Yeah, that's very true. Very true. So don't let anyone tell you that you don't measure up. Listen to what God says. And he says, you are whole. You're complete. You're exactly the way I made you. So that was number eight. Number nine is all belief is equal. Now, this is not like all roads um, go to God. This is not belief systems. I am talking here about belief in the Christian religion, belief in God through Jesus Christ. Mm. All belief is equal. Um, I've got a lot on this one, so buckle up. Biblical belief, it's first a commitment, then a progression. You commit to it, then you grow in it. There are two types of belief in God from what I can see, verbal belief and saving belief. And this, this can get tricky in some people's minds. So let's let's jump into verbal belief real quick. James 2.19, uh, excuse me. It says, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Now we know that demons aren't righteous, yet they believe in God. This is a statement, an intellectual, I know God exists belief, a verbal belief. There are a lot of people that I've talked to who claim Christianity. They say they believe in Jesus and God, but their confession stays right there. 
it's a common mindset that I've seen in like in relationships these days. I've heard so many young men on my crew say, me and my girl. After I get to know these guys for a while, I find out that they even claim this girl to be their wife, but they refuse to marry them. They want the benefits of marriage, the image of marriage, but they avoid the commitment of marriage. Mm. The biblical example of this would be the Nicolaitans, to which Jesus says, I hate the ways of the Nicolaitans. Wow. It's this, this um, statement, you're claiming to be something, but there's no commitment there. Mm. And saving belief, that is a commitment. Uh, a biblical synonym for commitment is abide. And we hear Jesus really put emphasis on that word too. Uh, in John 15, I believe Jesus explains that we must abide in him if we're real. This is where we should see our commitment turn into growth. You'll uh, hear some people say progressive sanctification. That's kind of a, a big word for this. But we commit ourselves to him, then we grow in him. Uh, Josh and I have already discussed doing a show on how to grow in him, so uh, keep your eyes open for that one. But uh, just in case I've made this too complicated, which probably did, let me just let me say it this way. Say that you have cancer. You recognize that you have cancer, and you make the statement, I believe that chemotherapy can save me. That statement's not going to do anything for you. You must undergo chemotherapy for it to work. You have to go undergo chemotherapy just like you have to commit and then grow. But here's the deal, you could you could be halfway through your chemo treatment, stop taking it, mm -hmm. at which point that that cancer can come back with a vengeance. And that biblical reference would be Hebrews 3.12 that says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. We've got to grow in Christ all the way through the treatment until we are a perfect reflection of Him, at which point we'll open our eyes and see Him face to face. And I'm not trying to say through all of this that you have to live this perfect life in which you'll you'll never fall or stumble or anything like that. But you have to be very honest with yourself and say, am I just saying I believe or do I believe? Mm -hmm. Because there's a lot of people out there that say they believe, but their actions don't show it. Yeah. And I'm not I'm not advocating for a rule book here. Yeah. But th this one, the reason this one is so hard, uh, is because it, it requires much balance. It really does. It does. But it's a big one, and I had to mention it. It takes the heart of a snake bird to look at that. I mean, I've heard it this way, and it's a little comical. But it says, just because you go to a donut shop, it doesn't make you a cop. You know, and and <laughs> we, <laughs> I think that there are so many people that walk into church every Sunday who maybe have uh, the appearance of salvation, but don't actually have the substance of salvation. Jesus said it so well when he talked about it in Matthew 25 with the parable of the wise and the foolish virgins, where they all came and they all had lampstands and they were all waiting for the bridegroom to come. But we know that they, he said that there were five wise and five foolish. What we realize is they all had lampstands, but the wise ones had oil enough to wait for the bridegroom to come. The ones that were unwise 
had no oil. And they said, we don't have enough oil. Give us some. And what you can take away, you can extrapolate from that story, is that they all had the appearance of salvation, but only five of them actually had the presence of the Holy Spirit evident in their lives, which is the proof of salvation. Yeah. And we see in Revelation to where an angel is going to come and he's going to separate the tares that grew amongst the wheat. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that is a scary thought to think that you're sitting next to a brother or sister that might or might not be, but that's not for us to judge. Yes. But it's something we got to ask ourselves because it's a lie. Well, the Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And you're talking about, you said at the beginning, verbal faith versus saving faith. Mm -hmm. And let me say this to you. This is something that I love to quote, is that if your faith hasn't changed you, then your faith hasn't saved you. Yeah. And if you're going along, uh, because a lot of times what Christianity commands us to do, or, or not commands, because that's such a strong word, what it encourages us to do is go against the flow. And so if you're walking along and you see, hey, my life looks exactly like everyone else around me, then maybe you're not different. Yeah. It's something to ask yourself and be honest about. It really is because it's a lie that um, it's a lie that I think is is um, very effective currently, right mm-hmm. now, um, more than it's ever been. Yeah, and it it takes some self confrontation. You have to examine your priorities. Where do I spend my money? How do I spend my time? What do I use my phone for? Do I do I ever read the Bible on it, or am I sending out encouraging texts, or am I looking at um, gambling websites or pornography? I, I mean, we all—that's an extreme, yeah. but it is an examination of what do we what are we doing with what we have. You know, one thing that you brought up, or, or I was thinking of, is you know what Satan loves more than a dead Christian? He What's loves that? a sleeping Christian. Yeah. And he, the, the way that I think Satan operates is when you receive Jesus, you know, we, we're going to have a discussion about once saved, always saved. I know that's a podcast that's going to have to come out eventually, but let's say that you're in the fold, you are saved. The one thing that he wants to do more than anything else in this world is make you ineffective to where you just shut down. His favorite song is a lullaby and he wants you to go to sleep because he realizes that the church, if it's full power, it's a roaring lion that cannot be stopped. And yet so many Christians are on cruise control and autopilot and they're not effectively using their faith to break down the strongholds of the devil. Yeah, that's very true. And it's it's just it's really important, Christian, to ask yourself, um, what faith do I have? Is is this saving faith or verbal? And this is not meant to depress you. And you know, Satan can also turn this around from how we're presenting it right now and get you depressed and get you questioning. Like number one, get you to trust God. Am I really saved? Did He really offer this to me? Yes, He did. He absolutely did. So you can stand on that that salvation yeah. promise, yeah. but um, don't fool yourself either. Look at your life. See if there's fruit. Yeah. Are, do you have joy? Do you have love? Are you loving the way that God has encouraged you to? Yeah. yeah. So all belief is equal. And it's not. No. <laughs> as strange as it may sound. All, not all belief when it comes to Christianity is equal. Oh. 
Uh, line number 10, and we'll close out with this. Here's one you're going to love because, again, we talk about how many of these are going to become their own individual podcast. This one most definitely is, and that is, we're all animals, just some of us wear pants. <laughs> Oh man, you're such a tease, Josh. I want to go into our another podcast here. This is a huge one. It is. I mean, if you think about it, that's oh my gosh. You we just spent a whole 10 minutes or whatever talking about faith. Here, Satan is asking people to have more faith than Christians ever are because he's telling them that they need to believe in evolution. Word that is so true. It's insane. I mean, oh my gosh. You talk about how many billions of years things are and 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 yet m- more is being revealed every day. Yeah, we we recognize that this is another podcast and we can't sum it up in a few sentences right here, but like we mentioned earlier in Romans, creation itself screams that it had a creator. Mm-hmm. And we can see that. We can see that through irreducible complexity to throw that term out at you. Mm-hmm. There are things that when you break them down to the very, you know, irreducible minimum there, it screams it had a creator. And uh, I, I'm just, I'm stuttering here cause I want to go into this, but we can't, we don't <laughs> yeah. got enough time. Yeah. But yeah, there's, there's evidence every day being presented um, in a lot of different fields. Um, and yet that, the way that the, the liar the father of all lies wants us to operate is we are animals and we just give into those base natures. Yeah. And we operate in that, that mentality. Yeah. And if you buy into this one, it's tied into you only live once. It is. It's a lot of these lies that we're mentioning. Uh, they, one lie always leads to another. It's like a domino effect. So a lot of these overlap. Uh, you only live once if, if evolution's true. And not to mention that it, you can't have you can't really have faith and believe in that at the same time. It, it contradicts the first book of the Bible mm. all the way, which so, unfortunately even biblical scholars oh yeah. have thrown out chapters one through eleven and yeah. some um, very um, educational surroundings. Yeah, yeah. Even in Christian colleges, they're they're throwing it up to Jewish myth chapters one through eleven, and it's uh, it's sad because if you start questioning. God, even even at the small stuff, where does it end? I mean, why why believe in part of God? Yeah, if He's lying in some areas, why in the world would you trust Him in others? Yeah, why divide His divinity? Yeah. yeah so. Well, let me throw this at you because, you know, Stephen, I don't know if you know this, but God just created evolution and set everything in motion. Oh my word! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's that's out there that God used evolution to do it. And I, uh, yeah, we don't got the time, but it's it's not possible. It's not possible. If you read scripture and you believe it, yeah. that's, that's not possible. Yeah. And, you know, Paul said this. He said, if we're wrong, even if God is not real and he did not rise from the dead, then we are to be pitied and we just lived the life that we lived. But I believe it with all my heart. I believe that yeah. God spoke and the world was formed and light existed. He said, let there be light. And you can you could come at me with every breathing breath. And I think, you know, we have different things that we can point to that are irrefutable in terms of why creation 
is what it is and not evolution. Yeah. We we have our faith in God because faith is really what it boils down to, even if you believe in evolution, like Josh said. But um, there's more than that. There's evidences. Yeah, and if you believe in evolution, it leads down to some very, it could be dangerous roads. It really does. There, You know, there can't be the existence of good and evil. You really can't. How do we explain consciences? Yeah. Or, you know, or, well, it's just civility. I mean... I mean, honestly, if we're being honest here, we, we don't need to be getting so upset with what Hitler did. That's natural selection. Calling out the gene pool as he saw fit. That's just something animals do to better their race. That, I know that's radical, but, and we'll get into it in another podcast, I'm sure. It'll be like part one through ten, but you can't have good and evil when it's just following natural processes. And if that's the way that people believed, why not? YOLO it up. Why yeah. not go out there and and do as many things that are pleasurable as you can Yeah. in this short life that is, only ends in a dirt nap? Yeah. It's, it's, it's unconscionable, and it's just sad. And so that is a lie that, again, that is totally going to branch into a whole other podcast yeah. <laughs> because it is such um, widespread and... You know, I know people laugh about hearing of the creation and believing that God could have spoken the world into existence. But there is there are things out there where people have proved it. Um, uh, there's even a lot of uh, scientists these days that are questioning evolution or, yeah. or refuting it. So, well, and uh, there's so the the amount of people that have walked away from their faith because of this lie is staggering. Mm-hmm. It's incredible how many people have walked away, and it's sad because uh, a lot of them don't even realize that 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 theory is is pretty much crumbled on itself. Mm-hmm. And and I I know there's probably some out there right now saying you don't know what you're talking about. Let let us know what you think, and let us know where y'all would like us to go with that because. Let me tell you, I can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait. Yeah, but That's... it's it's um it's not about being right. It's it's about um. It's about knowing the truth. It's about eternity. Yeah. It really is. And that's what this whole podcast was about. It was about exposing the truth of the lies of the devil. And we realized that, again, this wasn't an exhaustive list. It was just a a list of what we felt that God put on our heart. And so if you know of another lie that Satan puts out there that you would like us to kind of release a truth bomb into, then we encourage you uh, connect with us on Facebook or uh, send us an email to our website. It's connect at basnakebird.com. Our website is, of course, basnakebird.com. We have the No God link there. If you listen and you're uh, curious at all about how to become a Christian, there are so many um, good resources there. Yeah, and if this uh, episode or this podcast has benefited you, don't forget, share us with your friends. Uh, Put the word out there about Snakebird because that's one of the number one ways you can help us out. Absolutely. We promised so many branches of podcasts from this, and we're going to be doing all of them in the coming weeks. Uh, So please stay tuned. Check back here every week for a new one. And uh, let us encourage you with this. Always remember, whatever you do, wherever you go, no matter what life throws at you, there's never been a better time to follow the words of Jesus. And be a a snake snake bird. bird.